Welcome to Rage Worth Rewatching, where we're working our way through the history of films that rage against the machine. Today, we're discussing the 1999 cult classic, Fight Club. I'm your host, and for me, it was all a scam to erase my credit card debt. My co-host is Guy, who seems to get a chuckle out of watching the world burn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So, you know, we debated kind of how to handle this one. So first of all, let me say, I've said in probably half a dozen different episodes, several this season, that I'm, that I'm the only person who's never seen Fight Club. <laughs> and for one of those episodes, my girlfriend was listening in to us record it. And afterward, she demanded that we go and watch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she introduced me to the film. And... My immediate feeling was, man, this is going to be a hard one to describe. <laughs> <laughs> and so in thinking about it, and I, you know, I mean, we don't know, but it's kind of my feeling that a lot of people have seen this film. And also, this is one of those films, kind of like The Sixth Sense, right, where it's worth rewatching because once you know how the film turns out, when you rewatch it, you see all the little clues right. that they put in that you, you just couldn't catch the first time because you wouldn't know what to be looking for, right? Oh, yeah. So this time we're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to do this walkthrough as a rewatch and assume that you've seen it. And if you haven't, you know, a lot of the point, as we've discussed recently, of our walkthroughs is if you haven't seen a film, we want to let you experience it, even if you don't want to go and actually watch it. Or if you saw it a long time ago and kind of want to remember what it was like, but you don't want to go and rewatch it. In this case, I'm going to say watching this film is an experience, mm -hmm. and describing it isn't going to give you that experience. So, yeah, I think we can spoil the ending now and say that uh, it's worth watching, at least in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we recommend that you watch it before listening to this. Now, if you don't want to, that's okay, and you'll you'll get something out of this. And one of the things we will do right up front is is we will spoil the ending because we're going to be talking about all the clues that lead up to the ending right. as we go through. Uh, a little background, David Fincher, this is 1999, so David Fincher wasn't, you know, who he is now, right? Mm -hmm. He was selected for this by the producer because of his passion for the material. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a book a few years earlier by Chuck Palahniuk. Right. And the studio execs did not like the film when it was done, and so they screwed with the marketing. They they did that old trick, which you know I think almost never works, where they try to make the marketing make it seem like a different film so they can get people in on the first weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and especially in a film like this, no one's going to appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a wacky romantic comedy. <laughs> I don't know if that's how they portrayed it, but <laughs> yeah, I. I seem to remember thinking when it came out that it was just about like a boxing club and I'm not a big sports right. guy. So I wasn't interested at the time until uh, I started hearing good things about it and hearing that it was very different from what I had thought it was. So then I checked. Yeah, in fact, what happened was it's one of those where when it hit video, then it became a success, mm -hmm. but it's still considered a, a cult classic. Yeah. My reaction watching it the first time is this is the most expensive independent film ever made. <laughs> like, 
the stuff that happens in this film are things that you would expect to happen in an independent film, not in a major commercial film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, um, I, I can see why studio executives might not have liked it because in many ways it's um, sort of directly attacking everything that they stand for. <laughs> well, and not only that, you know, we call it a cult film, but I think that's not even fair because everybody in the world knows what, you know, what's the first rule of Fight Club, right? I mean, when you have a meme like that come out of your movie, oh yeah, I think uh, it's it's part of the culture. And, and also, as we'll talk about, I mean, this came before, right before the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And you know they could not have made this film after the oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, the the ending. Uh, as the kids say nowadays, uh, it, the ending hits differently after nine <laughs> yeah. eleven. It came before the financial crash and Occupy Wall Street. It feels like this film was predicting the future. You know, predicting the next ten years after it came out. Yeah. So with that, let's get into it now. We have Ed Norton, and I'm just going to call him Norton throughout the movie because mm-hmm. he's unnamed, and you know he's not really unnamed. And the, but the problem is, someone else is using his name at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a compelling beginning. You know, this is always fun to have this kind of beginning. They did this in uh, Mission Impossible Three, this kind of beginning where you start right out, and he's got a gun in his mouth, being held by Brad Pitt, and he's doing this narration about this big explosion that's about to happen. Yeah, I think we get a few shots of, uh, like, underground parking garages with bombs lined up and so on. Yeah, it's a classic, uh, you know, rapid shooting, uh, moving around buildings and that sort of thing while Norton is talking. And Norton narrates throughout a lot of the movie, which, you know, technically one of the rules of screenwriting is that narration is is a bad trope, Mm. but... uh, they do use it in here to compress a lot of things that otherwise they'd have to spend a lot more time explaining. So mm-hmm. it probably helps. And I, and, I think it works mm-hmm. fine. I didn't find it obtrusive at all. And sometimes it's even, uh, there are some good jokes in it. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out Brad Pitt, you know, is Tyler Durden. <laughs> and here we get our very first clue. Because Norton says he knows this explosion is about to happen. He says, I know this because Tyler knows this. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I, I think probably the first time I saw it, I probably wrote that off as they're such close. They know right. each other so well that they share every every information that they get. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to, to do our promise spoiler, I mean, <laughs> the the reality is that, that Edward Norton and, and Brad Pitt are the same person and that Tyler Durden is, in fact, Norton's name. Right. He created this Brad Pitt alter ego uh, as sort of the image of the person who was everything he wanted to be instead of being yeah. the white-collar corporate drone type. Yeah. Now we switch to, and there's a lot of montages and switching around in here. It's one of the reasons why I said it'd be hard to describe this in detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, Norton is telling a doctor that he has narcolepsy, and then he nods off and wakes up in strange places, which, again, another little clue. And insomnia, you know, the narcolepsy yeah. comes from the insomnia. Yeah. And the doctor tells him to get some natural sleep. <laughs> when Norton complains that he's in pain, the doctor should do something about it. The doctor tells him to go to the testicular cancer support group if he wants to see real pain. <laughs> yeah. And this is pretty funny because Norton actually takes him up on it. <laughs> 
And he starts attending these support groups and he finds it's what I call and I, I've not to be nasty to human resources people because I've actually worked with some really good human resources people in my time. But mm -hmm. I've also worked with some who are what I call emotional vampires. Uh. And that is they just they enjoy having someone come into the office and and dump all of this emotional stuff, then they can sort of wallow in it and, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's kind of what Norton is doing here, right? He's, he's experiencing the emotions of these other people, which then allows him to cry, which then allows him to sleep. Yep. Important thing here is we meet this guy named Bob who really takes to Norton and really wants to help him uh, cry. You know, he's a, yeah. he's a really big guy with really, with sort of big man breasts because of the treatment he's gone through, and he crushes Norton to his chest and, and, Bob, and encourages him to cry. Bob is uh, played by Meatloaf, uh, who is, oh, is uh, that the, who it was? The, okay, the late yeah. Meatloaf. Uh, right. I didn't even realize that. I knew Meatloaf was in there, but I didn't realize which role he was playing. Yeah. He does a good job for a non-actor. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. And he has bitch tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bob had bitched yeah. it. <laughs> and it, it seems in the beginning he's just going to be a side character, but he actually turns out to be one of the main characters throughout the film. Yeah. So Norton gets addicted and he goes to more and more different kinds of support groups and, you know, pretends he has whatever malady it is and gets sympathy and gets to sleep. But, of course, whenever you find something that works for you, especially at the beginning of the film, it has to get messed up. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Helena Bonham Carter, who plays Marla, she starts showing up at all the same groups that Norton is, and he realizes she's a tourist, and <laughs> and it pisses him off because once he knows somebody in the room isn't real, then he doesn't get his catharsis, and he starts getting insomnia again. Yeah. She's kind of a neat character. She's a, I would describe her as sort of a semi-goth. <laughs> she's not completely gawked out but she's got you know the dark eyeliner and you know very uh yeah. bohemian type and you know she's playing that very damaged kind of character yeah smoking and there's one part in here i really thought was funny it's just a little bit it doesn't really play into the movie too much but there's a woman with cancer who's gonna die soon and and you know she gets up to the mic to give the inspirational speech about how she's not afraid of death well i'm still here <laughs> But I don't know for how long. And that's as much certainty as anyone can give me. But I've got some good news. I no longer have any fear of death. But I am in a pretty lonely place. No one will have sex with me. I'm so close to the end and all I want is to get laid for the last time. I have pornographic movies in my apartment and lubricants and amyl nitrate. Thank you, Chloe. Everyone, let's thank Chloe. Thank Chloe. And then she starts talking about how she desperately wants to get laid for the last time. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, to get someone in the audience to, to come home with her, she's like, I have porn films, I have amyl nitrate, I have <laughs> the they, you know, they take her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they take her off of the mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's um, it, it's both darkly funny and kind of heartrending at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, because it's obvious that this is <laughs> she knows she's running yeah, out and, of time, and I'm sure it's a, a real situation, right? Yeah. yeah, there is a lot. I found I didn't remember this movie being as much of a 
tearjerker as I found mm. it to be watching it this time. It was, yeah, I mean, I wasn't sobbing throughout the whole thing or anything, but every once in a while, you know, I'd feel that little moisture mm. in the corner of my eye. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of emotion in this movie. Yeah. So Norton confronts Marla and, you know, tells her she's ruining his situation. So they agree to split up the groups. Uh, you know, one of them will go to half of the support groups. The other one will go to the other half so they're not interfering with each other. And there is, there's a lot that goes on here, but there's a little bit that, again, is a slight hint, which is they give each other their phone numbers in case they need to coordinate. And Marla says, you didn't put your name on this. What's your name? And then we cut away to another scene before we hear him say his name. Right. And later at the end of the movie, they don't say this directly, but the implication is there. He actually told her his name was Tyler Durden. Yeah. And that's something I, I don't think I had realized. And I've seen this movie. I mean, watching it, I just watched it this morning. And that was probably, I'd guess, at least the fifth time I've seen it. <laughs> wow. And I don't think I ever realized that Ed Norton's name is probably just Tyler Durden. I, I mean, I, I just always assumed it was some other name that I didn't hear, but, but it makes perfect sense if it was that all along. Yep. And uh, his job is he does car crash investigations for car recalls, and this has him flying all over the place. And I had a bit of this experience because I was traveling over the world uh, training people at a program. I had things like uh, at one point a – you know, an entire month or more where I wasn't home, you know, I was just mm -hmm. all over Europe and it really does kind of mess with you, oh, even though there's fun things about it. But like I was in Israel and I'm waking up at three in the morning and it's not just waking up, it's your brain is on fire mm -hmm. you, know, and you can't go back to sleep. And, oh. yeah. So Norton experiences this all the time, right? He's constantly in different time zones. He never knows what time it is. He's always falling asleep and then waking up somewhere, which again becomes... An important part is we discover that while he's asleep, you know, the uh, Tyler Durden part of him is doing things. Yeah. <laughs> and and he, and again, you know, he says it pretty directly here. I mean, they almost basically lay out the movie for you. He says, if you wake up in a different time in a different place, did you wake up as a different person? <laughs> <laughs> and then he meets Tyler Durden on a flight. Tyler is this guy who makes and sells soap. Right from the start, he's he's an interesting character. He's very, uh, he has kind of a cynical take on things. He's sort of subtly making fun of Ed Norton's button-down life. <laughs> yep. So he, it's all very intriguing, and Tyler gives him his card. And then when Norton goes to get his luggage, he can't get it because the cops have been called in because his luggage is vibrating. <laughs> and... When it's never explained to us what happened here, although both Tyler and Norton had the same looking briefcases. Norton commented on this, and again, it's a little kind of a clue. They have the exact same briefcase. Mm -hmm. So the implication is sort of that Tyler switched briefcases with him or something. Yeah, but I I, I don't think we, we directly find out what the deal was with that. Right. Well, it is. And, of course, there, there weren't two briefcases, so it's hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's there's a funny little joke uh, about uh, the guy says nine times out of ten that's like an electric toothbrush or a razor or something and then the the one time out of ten it's uh, he sort of covers up the phone that he's talking on and he says a dildo <laughs> but we never say your dildo just a dildo. <laughs> 
There's another funny bit here that starts telling us about Tyler, because in the background, while Norton's trying to get his luggage, Tyler hops into this really nice car and drives away, and then you realize it's not his car. Yeah, the guy was chasing after it. Yeah. <laughs> Which also uh, goes back to uh, Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> so then Norton gets home to find that his apartment has exploded. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> everything in his apartment is on the ground, you know, like 24 floors below where his apartment is. Yeah, and it was just specifically his apartment. The rest yeah, of the like nothing else. Intact. Yeah. Yep. And he has Tyler's card, so he calls him, and they meet at a bar, and Tyler gives him a speech about everyone being consumers. So Norton shouldn't worry about losing his stuff because he shouldn't just be a consumer. And, you know, the things you own end up owning you. <laughs> I think this might be the scene where he talks about uh, Martha Stewart and uh, says yeah. that she's uh, polishing the brass in the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> and then major plot point here when they get outside of the bar tyler asks norton to hit him as hard as he can mm -hmm. and we get this weird montage then of norton summarizing tyler's life with norton talking to us and he's there in each of the scenes he's summarizing yeah while tyler is doing stuff breaking the fourth wall as it gets called tyler is a film projectionist and he gets his jollies by splicing in frames of porn into the film and nobody quite realizes what they're seeing but it impacts them and the funniest <laughs> part of it is uh this little girl is crying because she's watching some <laughs> cartoon and and you know there's there's a naked man in <laughs> and he's a waiter at a fancy hotel where he uh pollutes the food in various ways yeah so back at the fight norton hits tyler and he manages to hit him in the ear which surprises him and you know hurts because getting hit in the ear, <laughs> ear hurts a lot Tyler hits him back, and in the process, they actually feel something. And so they get into a big fight, and Norton says, we should do this again sometime. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, the underlying thing of the whole film. <laughs> Norton starts staying at Tyler's house, which is an abandoned piece of crap, you know, that he it's, found. As a piece of production design, I think it's really, really impressive because it's supposed to be like a – a really nice old house uh, that's fallen to ruin. And it, it it's used throughout the movie. I mean, you see a lot of the interior, and it's just decrepit. You know, it's all falling apart, and they're leaky and so forth. But very, very interesting setting, though. It's uh, well done, I think. Yeah, so one of the things I liked about the design of this house is that when it rains, they have, like, two feet of water in the basement <laughs> and they're standing in it. And you can only imagine that must have been a huge hassle to film, right? Like they probably did have like a water tank and put the whole set in there or something so they could have all this water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, they're going down there to change fuses and flip breakers or whatever. Well, they're standing in water, right? Yeah. So I'm sure they probably would have electrocuted <laughs> themselves in reality. <laughs> yeah. And we go back and they uh, keep fighting outside the bar. And others start to join in with them, two fighting at a time. And, of course, this is the beginning of Fight Club, right? <laughs> uh, every Saturday night, they start getting together in this parking lot and fighting each other. And they find that somehow the fights are fulfilling something in the men. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, they've been fighting outside this bar. Then they make a deal with, like, the bartender. And he lets them take over the basement of the bar, and that's where Fight Club really starts. And, 
you know, Tyler, there's all these people there one night on a Saturday, and Tyler lays out the new rules of Fight Club. And as everybody, even if they've never seen this movie, knows, you know, the first rule of Fight Clubs, you don't talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Clubs, you don't talk about Fight Club. Although that turns out not to be a very ironclad rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, while this is all happening, Marla calls uh, Norton and she's like, well, you haven't been going to the support groups. What's going on? And he's like, well, what do you, you how would you even know we split up the groups? You shouldn't know. And she's like, well, I cheated and I went to some of yours and you didn't show up. <laughs> and so she's all worried. And oh, by the way, she's taking a whole bottle of pills and she's probably going to die. But <laughs> I love what she says here. She says, eh, this probably isn't really a suicide attempt. It's probably more of a cry for help. <laughs> so she's like <laughs> literally, you know, inviting him to come over and save her. <laughs> <laughs> But he's not interested, which is a little weird. So he just takes – and she's going on and on. And he just takes the phone receiver and puts it on top of the phone and walks away. And by the way, kids, you know, phones used to be these things that had different receivers and you could do this. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> It was the uh, – also called the handset. It was yeah. the part that was attached by a cord. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, – we might have talked about this once before, but there's this hilarious YouTube videos where this guy gets these kids together who are like 10 years old or whatever, and he puts things like an old phone in front of them and says, what do you think this is and how do you think it works? And it's really <laughs> hilarious <laughs> to watch them. They're like, uh, yeah, they have no freaking idea. <laughs> so the next morning, uh, we see that Tyler has been having sex with Marla all night <laughs> because it turns out that after Norton left the phone up, he saw that the phone was there and he heard her talking and he picked up the phone. And he then went over to her place and saved her and brought her back. And there's actually kind of a whole pretty funny sequence in here because somebody's <laughs> called the cops and the cops are trying to get into her place and they're sneaking out. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty funny, actually, how it's done. Uh, but this begins this, this pattern because, you know, it's the morning and Norton asks Marla what she's doing in his house. And it's really confusing because, you know, he's been hearing them having sex all night. And, and I think, you know, he goes by the bathroom and he sees all these condoms in the toilet. You know, he's really not pleased with what's going on. Yeah. And we have this weird thing. So he, he, you know, she comes into the kitchen and he's pissed off and wants to know what she's doing in his house. And she's like, what? Fuck you. And she walks out. And this is one of those things that the first time you watch the movie, you don't really know what's going on. And the second time, it's completely different. Right. No, it's yeah. a completely different meaning. Because <laughs> the whole deal here is, as we've said, Tyler and he are the same person. So he has just spent all night having sex with her. And then in the morning, he's a total asshole to her, <laughs> telling her to get out of his house. And, and so and this happens over and over again. So she she feels like she's just being, you know, abused by this guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And we then have a montage of Norton listening to them having sex and like, you know, uh, things falling from the ceiling because they're so active. <laughs> yeah, little <laughs> chunks of plaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and eventually, after the montage, uh, the cops call Norton and they tell him that someone sabotaged his apartment. You know, they've been investigating that explosion that blew out his apartment and only his apartment, you know, all, <laughs> all the contents. And they said someone sabotaged it. They put in homemade dynamite. And it seems like they left the gas on for days waiting for it to ignite. And Tyler walks by the phone and says, tell him you blew it all up. Uh, 
which <laughs> as we, you know, again, when you watch it the second time, he's literally saying what happened. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Norton blew his own apartment up. But at the time, I was confused because you assume, and especially because they say the homemade explosives and Tyler's already talked about making explosives out of soap and stuff. So it makes mm -hmm. sense that he would have done the homemade explosives. But when you watch it the first time, you're like, well, wait, he didn't meet him until like after, you know, or the same time the apartment exploded. Like he didn't meet him days before mm -hmm. and have time to like turn on the gas and all that, right? So it did, it was like, this doesn't make any sense. You watch it a second time and you know that Tyler and Norton are the same person and it's a whole <laughs> different thing, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then Norton mentions another one of these clues. He says, except when you guys are having sex, neither you or Marla are ever in the same room together. And they make it work in the script. Like, it doesn't feel like a tell. It doesn't feel mm -hmm. like he's telling you what's going on because he says, that's how my parents were. Right. Yeah. They would never be in the same room. I had to negotiate between them, et cetera. So you feel like he's, you know, it, it just feel like, oh, these two people like to have sex, but they don't like to be actually talk to each other. And he's having to negotiate that. So they yeah. kind of distract you from <laughs> what he's really <laughs> saying, which is I never, you know, Tyler doesn't exist. And, <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, now he tells Norton how to make soap. <laughs> This is this, this is, is a really bizarre. <laughs> very memorable scene that. Yeah. He says first you render fat and the best fat comes from humans. <laughs> <laughs> so they raid a liposuction clinic and it turns out, you know, their garbage is full of these plastic bags full of fat. <laughs> and it's it's really funny, right? Because Tyler like so they're like uh, going over a a fence that has, you know, razor Barbed wire, wire right? top yeah. on, yeah. They put like a, <laughs> a, you know, a rug over the top or whatever. And uh, so Tyler passes up the the big plastic bag of fat, and of course Norton manages to pierce it on the, the razor wire, and so it's, it's <laughs> pouring all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then Tyler explains to Norton how you can make dynamite from fat and of course that ties back to what we had just heard that there was a homemade dynamite that blew up his place right and again we have this really weird scene where he grabs norton's hand and he pours or he grabs norton's wrist and he pours a chemical powder on the back of his hand and he won't let him move and the chemical powder really seriously burns and scars him and it's a it's a test of his endurance and it's very much like there's a scene early on in Dune where the Reverend Mother is the Gom Jabbar. <laughs> right. she... Yeah, that's a good analogy. That's funny. Yeah, Very similar to that. So then uh, back in the, the basement of the bar, Tyler is angry because there's a whole lot of new people showing up for Fight Club. And what does that mean? That means that people have been talking about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> he gives a speech about the wasted potential of these men. They don't have a war or a Great Depression to live up to. And it's amusing because, you know, this is a 20-plus-year-old film. So if it were done now, you would directly think they were doing, like, a Jordan Peterson reference, right? Mm. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is this, like, make your bed, you know, be responsible uh, kind of guy. And that's totally what this film is about. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a different way. I mean, uh, I think uh, Jordan Peterson would probably more try to stand up for civilization, whereas Tyler at this point just wants to <laughs> knock it down pretty much. <laughs> Robert Paulson, he was the guy from the very 
very first scene, the great big moosey guy. The meatloaf, <laughs> the, right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the Bob who had bitch tits. <laughs> and uh, uh, they meet on the street, and Bob is looking pretty cheerful, you know, relatively healthy and so on. And it turns out that uh, he belongs to Fight Club. And Norton didn't know anything about it, but it turns out they attend on different nights, which he wasn't aware there even were other nights. So right. uh, he finds out that Fight Club is more extensive than he knew and that Bob is part of it. Now, I mean, this is, okay, at this point, everything's pretty cool, right? They just have these fights. They all feel fulfilled from them and they're, they're becoming true men. Yeah, they're serving, they're serving the purpose that Going to the group therapy formerly served for Norton. <laughs> right. Know, to, uh, gives him some peace of mind. But this is the point where it really starts to go south, right? Because Tyler starts making orders for people. And so his first order is that everybody in the fight club has to start a fight that week with a stranger and lose that <laughs> It's a cute little montage of a few different situations with fight club members trying to provoke people into fights and the people invariably uh are reluctant to do it they try to run away or walk away fast and uh, the people pursue them and finally get them riled up enough that they'll start slapping at them and <laughs> so they uh you see them being persistent and uh doing their homework yeah my favorite one is um there's a guy out front of his business hosing down the sidewalk and this priest walks by and he keeps, you know, uh, putting the water on the priest and the priest gets really pissed off and then they get into a fight. And then later, of course, you see that the priest has joined the fight club, right? <laughs> and he's a very nebbishy guy too, right? Mm -hmm. For Norton's part, he uh, responds to this order by going to his boss, who's been, you know, we haven't really talked about his boss, but his boss has been a thorn in his side the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. And my assumption, and I think anyone watching it up front, event, up front will be, oh, okay, he's going to fight his boss. Mm -hmm. But that's not quite what he does. Instead, he he blackmails his boss. He says, you know, I know all, because he's a insurance investigator, he's like, I know all this stuff that we're doing as a company that is unsafe and killing people. And so I want you to just pay me, but I don't have to come in and work, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, a nice deal if you can get it. Yeah. And then, and this is really interesting and really bizarre. And again, it means something completely different the second time you watch it. The boss doesn't want to do it or whatever. And Norton's response is so weird. He starts fighting himself, right? He starts <laughs> punching himself and throwing himself across the room. <laughs> and and for the outside world, he makes it sound like the boss is attacking him, right? He keeps saying, oh, right. don't punch me. Don't do this. Right? <laughs> and in the, in the middle of it, we get this narration. And he says, for some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. <laughs> now, when you first watch this, it's like, I, okay, whatever, you know. And then the second time, it's like, yeah, because we know he was fighting himself and there was no Tyler, and that's what he's doing here, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but the end result of him blackmailing the boss and being willing to beat himself up is he gets a no-show job, and he gets, like, dozens of free flights, right? They give him tickets for free flights every year, which turns out to yeah. be important. And because he has a no-show job, he can now do Fight Club every night. <laughs> yeah. 
They even uh, give him a computer and keyboard so he can work remotely <laughs> yeah. or, or not work remotely. As the case <laughs> so expanding on this, Tyler starts handing out homework assignments at the end of Fight Club night in sealed envelopes to everyone. And this is to, like, sabotage corporate signs or erase videos at Blockbuster, right? Like, they go into Blockbuster with these magnetic things and run them over all the VHS <laughs> tapes. VHS tapes, kids, well, you got to Google it. But anyway, <laughs> it's how we grew up. Um, yeah. And this was really interesting to me because uh, decades ago, actually it was at the time that Robert Heinlein died because there were people I knew who invited me to kind of a, a thing where we recognized Robert Heinlein's life, right? He was this science fiction writer who's actually extremely mm -hmm. important to me when I was right. a child. And the place we went, one of these guys basically was Tyler, right? So he had all these magazines that were magazines about how to sabotage corporate America. So it was like how to, you know, get up to one of these signs and paint them out or change the <laughs> words or whatever or how to sabotage this or that. So the, so what they're presenting here, this is true. There are this set of people who, who believe mm -hmm. that they're changing the world by painting out part of a sign or, you know, whatever <laughs> and, yeah. and doing this. And, and so it is really interesting to me to see this, this connection to this thing that I'd experienced. Oh, yeah. And then we get another really interesting scene because it goes in ways you don't expect. So uh, Norton and Tyler are walking by like a video store. And again, you know, VHS store like Blockbuster. Tyler, I think, takes to Norton's gun and goes in and, you know, you think he's going to rob the guy or something. But he takes the clerk out back and it's like an Asian guy, mm -hmm. puts him on his knees, has his head behind his head, uh, has his gun behind his head, threatening to kill him. But what he does is he says, what is it you really want to do? What is it you really want to be? And it turns out this guy wanted to be a veterinarian, but he dropped out of school. And so he's working in this, you know, dead-end video store job, right? Yeah. And Tyler takes his ID and keeps it and says, if you're not making progress in six weeks on becoming a veterinarian, I'm going to come back and kill you. And again, this is really interesting. Also, it's sort of like the Jordan Peterson thing taken to, you know, another <laughs> level. <laughs> and later on, I, I don't know if you notice this, it's really subtle, but later on, there's a shot where Norton is going through Tyler's stuff. And we see that on the back of the door, he has dozens and dozens of these IDs. Like, <laughs> there's all these people he's done this to, right? Uh, where he's forced them to make themselves better because otherwise he's going to come back and shoot them. <laughs> and I thought that was just really interesting. Oh, yeah. And it reminded me of uh, in the movie Nothing But Trouble, one of the characters in that collects license, uh, driver's licenses too, but uh, for a little different purpose in that case. <laughs> I haven't seen it. So. <laughs> so now we switch and Norton is talking to Marla on the phone. And, you know, I don't know, she's pissed at him or something. I don't remember exactly the conversation, but he hears this sawing going on downstairs. It's really loud. And he says, do you hear that? And she doesn't. And again, this is a little clue <laughs> from mm. the future. Uh, so he goes downstairs to see what's going on. And Tyler is constructing bunk beds. <laughs> and it turns out he's starting to have these applicants for the next stage of what he's doing. And what they have to do in order to be to be able to to join 
is they have to stand on the porch for three days with no food or water and being harassed by Tyler and even by Norton as it goes on. You know, mm-hmm. they'll come out and say, you're fat or you're too young or whatever. Go away. We're never going to accept you. Well, if you stick it out for three days standing there, then you can join and your training begins. So Tyler is starting to build an army. <laughs> what he starts doing with his army is having them do these operations, right? They're getting bigger. I mean, we talked earlier about like erasing videotapes and stuff, but they're starting to get bigger. So their first kind of big one is they start a fire in an apartment building and Outside of it, they paint this smiley face, and so the mm-hmm. the one the rooms that they started on fire are the eyes of the smiley face. Yeah, and I think this is really clearly a Watchmen reference, right? Because mm. that smiley face is the whole th- uh, iconic theme of the Watchmen comic and and show, right? Yeah, although the smiley face itself that goes back at least to the seventies, uh, you know, it was a popular uh, icon before the Watchmen. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, in terms of this whole sort of, we're going to burn everything down and everything. I, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a connection. To, to yeah. Richmond. Oh, sure. But this is called Project Mayhem, <laughs> and there's this. So, so this new project, Norton doesn't know anything about it. And the funny thing is, once he hears about it, there's this rule Tyler has put in place, which is you can't say anything about Project Mayhem. So anytime he tries to talk to anybody about it, they say, rule number one is you cannot talk about Project Mayhem. <laughs> it gets really mm-hmm. annoying, right? Uh, but the cops have caught on, and they talk to the press, and we see this on the TV, and they're like, oh, there's some kind of boxing underground club, and they're doing these terrorist actions, right? And we're going to try and stop them, <laughs> which all sounds really weird, but it's totally true. <laughs> <laughs> So Tyler doesn't want the cops searching for them. So they put together an operation and mm-hmm. they at, at a fancy dinner party, they capture the yeah. police chief in the bathroom. And the the dinner party, I wanted to say, is um, kind of amusing because it's, it's like a very elite gathering, a fundraiser type thing, kind of like the dinner party at the end of They Live with uh, you know, the, the human mm-hmm. power elite. Yeah. Uh, but um, the guy who is making the presentation is like the least inspiring. He's trying to talk about this hope project, which is something about police cooperating with some other thing, you know. And it's one of those projects that gets announced with great fanfare and then quietly dies a few years later, you know. But uh, but the guy who's presenting it is just, um, you know. Very deliberately, like, reading it from cue cards or from notes. I mean, the actor probably had to do some actual acting (laughs) to present it that way. (laughs) Right, right. And, um, you know, the way it works is, like, Tyler's people, including Bob, are acting as waiters, right? And then when the police chief goes out to go to the bathroom, the waiters sort of follow him, right? And they've got wigs on and stuff. So, you know, they take off their wigs as they're following him and all this. And and Tyler and company go into the bathroom with him. They capture him and put him on the floor. And then they get really intense and serious. So Tyler brings out this pretty nasty knife, right? So that, that kind of curved knife. I don't know what you call <laughs> it. It's kind of like a claw. He has this great speech. The people you are after are the people you depend on. We cook your meals. We haul your trash. We guard you while you sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And basically he says, right now, if you don't do what we want, we're going to cut off your balls right here. It might be a kukri knife. I can't remember what it looks like. Yeah, it sounds about right, yeah. 
And so uh, the police chief doesn't want his balls cut off, so (laughs) he agrees to suppress the investigation of them. And now we get another just bizarre, intense scene where they're driving. Tyler and Norton are in the front. Tyler's driving, and two of Tyler's kind of army guys are in the back, right? And Tyler, you know, asks each person in the car what they want to do before they die. And the people in the back immediately tell him, you know, oh, I want to run a restaurant or I want to do, you know, whatever. They immediately know what they want. You know, they've thought this through. And Mm. Norton's like, I don't know. So – Tyler then pulls the car into the oncoming lane of traffic, heading right mm-hmm. at a car, and he's like, "Tell me what it is you want to do before you die, right?" And and you know, and Norton is freaking out and trying to get the car to turn and and uh, et cetera. And in the process of this, Tyler admits that he was the one who blew up Norton's condo, which of course is not true. It was Norton who blew up Norton's condo. <laughs> 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 And he then switches lanes, but he speeds up and rams the rear of a car and sends them all into a ravine. This is a critical point in the movie because having, at this point, Tyler leaves. He disappears. Mm -hmm. So now it's just Norton. And Norton is certainly confused. Like, what happened to Tyler? Where'd he go? And he starts investigating. And in their house, you know, the house is now full of soldiers that Tyler's recruited. And as Norton walks through, they're mixing up something. It's like a concrete thing or something. Um, There's all these maps and plans, and no one will tell Norton about them. And if he asks them about them, they say, you know, Project the first rule of Project Mayhem is you don't talk about Project Mayhem, right? So they won't tell him anything. (laughs) And then um, Bob's body is brought in and it turns out that well on an operation he was shot in the head by a cop and he is dead yeah he's he's very dead one of the uh one of the soldiers pulls the sheet down and uh, you get a glimpse that uh he's he's not gonna make it yeah <laughs> and so they go through this whole thing about how they're gonna bury him in the back and all this and Norton is disturbed and he's trying to figure out what's going on. So he goes to Tyler's room and he starts looking through his, you know, dresser drawers and everything. And he finds a bunch of used plane flight stubs. And then he's asking people in the building for Tyler, where's Tyler? And they're all looking at him kind of weird when he asks this. And again, this, you know, second time you watch this, (laughs) that's a completely different meaning because he is Tyler, right? So it makes Mm -hmm. no sense that he's asking who, where's Tyler, right? And in the process of this, you know, looking at all the plane fight stubs and talking to people and, and traveling around a bit, Norton realizes Tyler has been setting up fight clubs all over the country. <laughs> and so Norton starts retracing Tyler's tracks, right? He's going through all the locations he went with these plane flights. And he's asking people about Tyler. And there's a bartender who tells Norton that Norton himself was here last Thursday checking on the security protocols <laughs> and that Norton is Tyler Durden. And this yeah. is the bartender, if I remember right. He's got a pretty elaborate uh, support mechanism put up on his neck and head. He's got like one of those neck rings from yeah. know, prevent injuries. And then he's got all these metal rods coming out, up out of it to stabilize his head. So. Yeah, probably got like gotten from Fight Club or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and you know, Norton is thoroughly confused. He's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, and he's like, "Well, you were standing here a couple days ago, and you told us to check our security, and you're Tyler Durden, right?" So, (laughs) so 
Now a light bulb starts to go off, and Norton rushes back to his hotel room, and he calls Marla and asks if they've ever had sex, <laughs> which is a weird, <laughs> a weird question, right? <laughs> and it turns out that he's been having sex with her all along, and as we said, then in the morning, because he thought it was Tyler having sex with her, he would be really mean to her. <laughs> And send her out of the house. And and I think that, you know, the implication you get is the sex is so good. She goes along with this. But, you know, she's kind of <laughs> tired of him being an asshole to her. Mm-hmm. But after he figures this out, <laughs> Tyler shows up in the hotel room. He's sitting in the chair there. <laughs> and he explains how he's the person Norton always wanted to be. Norton created him. Now we have a series of flashbacks where Norton sees what actually happened, right? He was fighting himself in that parking lot, and other people were watching him fight himself. (laughs) It's just really weird. But effective. Yeah, and so we see all these different things where, where he thought Tyler was there, but it was really just him. But here's the deal. Tyler's like, well, look, Marla's on to us. She has to be taken care of. You know, he doesn't want to leave any any uh, thing behind. Any loose ends, as they say. Yeah. And now Norton passes out, which, as we know, is dangerous because whenever Norton's asleep, Tyler takes over, right? That's the whole thing. <laughs> He's been, like, running around. That's why Norton is, never gets any good sleep because Tyler's taking over his body and running around doing all this stuff, right? Yeah. So he wakes up and he realizes that Tyler has been making phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so he flies home and... The house is empty. All the stuff that Tyler's army was making is gone. And Norton realizes that the explosives they were making have been moved to buildings around the city. And it turns out it's all buildings with credit card companies, right? So kind of the idea is, well, and again, this is pre-9-11, so it's really bizarre. The idea is we're going to take out all these credit card company buildings and everybody's debt will be set to zero. And that's going to let everyone kind of start from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. And so Norton tries to call the buildings and warn them, but it turns out at each building, whoever answers the phone is one of Tyler's army, right? So they're like, don't worry, (laughs) sir, we're on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) So he now meets with Marla in a coffee shop and tries to make up with her, but she is sick of his shit, right? (laughs) And uh, so she leaves and he says, you know, and on her way of her leaving, he gives her a bunch of money and says, look, uh, I, you just have to get out of major cities. I know that a bunch of stuff's going down. All these buildings, you know, I mean, what he knows is all these buildings are going to explode, et cetera. He doesn't explain that all to her, but he's like, you just need to get out of major cities so you'll be safe. And he puts her on a bus, like a Greyhound bus with a bunch of money, right? And tells her to get out of town. So she's taken care of. And then he goes to the cops, <laughs> sort of like when he tried to call the building. It's kind of funny because he tries to get arrested as a terrorist leader, right? He's like, <laughs> I'm a terrorist leader. I'm running these cells, and they're going to do all these explosions. But it turns out that all but one of the cops who are, you know, talking to him are Tyler's army, right? So, <laughs> so the one cop who's legitimate goes out and does some investigation. And meantime, the rest of them are like, you're so brave, sir. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, it turns out... He had told them as Tyler that he would do this, that and if he came in and tried to, you know, defeat it all, that they should cut off his balls. So they're like, you're so brave. And then, you know, they put him on the table. They're ready to cut off his balls. <laughs> you know, he's trying to <laughs> talk them out of it. But he manages to grab one of their guns and he escapes. In the meantime, though, 
that one legitimate guy comes back in and he's like, hmm, the stuff he's saying seems to be panning out. We better go check it out. So another guy goes with him to check it out. And you know what's going to happen, right? I mean, he's going <laughs> to, like, shoot the the good cop once they're once they're off on their own. So <laughs> I don't know if it would be necessary to shoot him. Yeah, I'm just guessing that would happen. <laughs> we don't see what happened, but that's my guess, right? <laughs> uh So Norton now goes to the garage of one of the buildings that he knows the explosives are in, and he finds a truck full of explosives. And this might have happened before this movie. It goes back to the original attempt to blow up the towers, right, when um, Mm -hmm. they got defeated, where they had some trucks with explosives and stuff in the garage. Mm -hmm. So he goes into the back of the truck, and, you know, the classic thing where there's a bomb and different colored cables, and he's trying to figure out what to do. But now he starts to understand because Tyler then shows up and Tyler is taunting him. And he realizes, wait, if Tyler set up these bombs, that means I set up these bombs and I know how to, to defeat them. And so he realizes which wire he needs to cut and he cuts the correct wire. And then they get into a big fight. You know, Tyler's punching him all over the place. Of course, now we know he's really punching himself all over the place. <laughs> um. Then Norton is eventually knocked out, and now we're at the beginning of the movie, right? He's sending a, he's sitting in this chair. Tyler has a gun in his mouth. The explosives are going to go off in about three minutes. Meanwhile, Tyler's army is bringing Marla back. They got her, you know, probably some of them were already on the yeah, bus or they, something. They, they see her down on the street being yeah. pulled out of the... Or we see her. I don't know. That yeah. They so they brought her back. And Tyler, again, says, we got to take care of her. She's a loose end. And Tyler's holding a gun on Norton. But again, Norton now realizes if Tyler's holding a gun on him, it must be in his own hand. Right. <laughs> and once he realizes that, the gun disappears from Tyler's hand. And now we see it in Norton's hand. And this is really weird. You just had to go with it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there's no logic to it. It makes no sense. But... <laughs> Norton puts the gun in his own mouth and fires. Mm-hmm. And somehow the bullet goes through Tyler's head and kills him. Yeah, I, I think um I think he does actually shoot himself, but he yeah. before he pulls the trigger, he puts it like aims it toward the back of his neck off to the side enough that it won't go through his spine yeah so he's seriously damaged but as we'll see over the next few minutes he heals really quickly right i mean (laughs) at the very beginning he can barely talk he's got all this blood coming out of his neck a couple minutes later he can talk fine right so he kind of heals very quickly so Tyler is now dead. <laughs> and, and also the, the, the visual effect they do when he shoots himself is pretty weird. Like, you know, you see this kind of um, thing of air go through his face and head and, and everything. It's really, really bizarre. <laughs> so then Tyler's army brings Marla up and, you know, he gets them all to leave. But there's nothing they can do about the explosives, so they watch the buildings fall together, and they're now holding hands. <laughs> and and I, I love the ending here. Norton says, Norton slash Tyler says to Marla, you met me at a very strange time in my life. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. You kind of get the implication that they're now going to go on together, that he's kind of in control of himself now, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there we are. <laughs> so what do you think? What 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 do you think is going on here? <laughs> well, I, what I think is going on is, uh, well, he made a, he made his bid at uh, taking down 
the banking system. And uh, from what we see at the end of the movie, he, he probably at least uh, gave him a couple good punches. I mean, those were expensive buildings. But uh, mm. although I don't know the theory of wiping out everyone's debt would work because they have to think they've got off-site backups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was the same problem with the 9-11 tackers, right? They thought, oh, if we take down the World Trade Center towers, we're going to disrupt, you know, Western trade. No, it just moves <laughs> to another building. I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, ultimately I think this is a really weird movie, a really interesting movie. There, There's just a few movies in my life, and I mean I've seen thousands of movies from all around the world, right? And there's just a few movies that are an experience. Like for me, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, right, is this experience. Mm-hmm. Like you watch it and it's just like nothing else. I mean, you know, it's not just like watching a story or whatever. Like you have this experience. And I would say, well, I would – probably like Mulholland Drive better, this movie is like that. Like, that's why we said at the beginning, it doesn't make any sense for us just to describe the movie to someone who hasn't seen it because you need to experience this movie. You need to watch it and just have your own reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, and it really is. I mean, visually and pacing-wise and all that, it's really uh, it's an entertaining movie. I mean, you're not... Uh, I can I can imagine some hypothetical viewer who could be bored by it, but I think they'd be few and far between. <laughs> right, right. And then, as we say, you really should, you know, like wait a couple weeks and watch it again, and then the whole movie has a different kind of kind of tinge to it. I mean, <laughs> really, you realize the second time the movie is shouting at you, "This is what's happening," right? <laughs> but the first time, you just don't have enough context to put it all together. Yeah. I, I can't imagine probably a lot of people did guess it. I don't think I guessed it until later in the movie, you know, when yeah. it started yeah. to become obvious. So, as we say, in terms of Rage Against the Machine, yeah, we're not so sure they would have actually impacted the machine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they did cause a lot of mayhem. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Now there are uh, fight clubs all over the country. So, yeah, yeah. who knows what's next? So coming back to that worth watching question again, obviously we both like it, but what what do you think in terms of worth watching? Oh yeah, yeah, it's um very entertaining movie. The actors are all fun. Uh, the cinematography is uh, is great. I think yeah, it's just really there's very little that I could you know aside from some of the little questions. I, I think they're called refrigerator questions where. <laughs> You don't think of it while you're watching the movie, but you go back and while you're looking through the refrigerator, you think, uh, oh, wait, that doesn't quite work, does it? There's, <laughs> I, uh-huh. there's some of those, but overall, I uh, I think it's just a heck of a fun movie. <laughs> okay, so what refrigerator question means to me is the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull when oh, you know, okay. there's a nuclear bomb and he's in the refrigerator <laughs> and at the end they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's, that's what the refrigerator question means to me. But okay, that, it's, yeah, it's that not is, unrelated. <laughs> that is a different, different subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, folks, um, hopefully you watched it before you listened to this. If you didn't, go and watch it a couple times. Uh, Definitely a really interesting movie. So we will see you next week with our next Rage Against the Machine film. (laughs) All right. 